Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, today is Wednesday. It's in one o'clock. And I did the, I'm going to do an extra one on the Parsha. And that's because um, my good friends, the Radomskis, wrote to me. And uh, they too have a um, yard site this week. And uh, on Seventh of El, which is coming up. I'm sorry, the Third of El, excuse me. It's already happened. And um, it's today the Third of El? Well, maybe. It's today, what, Monday was the first, maybe today's the right day. Um, and they asked me to do one as a yard site, seventh yard site of Deborah's grandmother. Let me see here, Bessie Carr. Carr, the English historian, Edward Carr. I'm sure not related. Bessie Carr, Basiabas Tzvi, who I'm informed was a stalwart of Anglo Jewry. Uh, that's a great word, a stalwart of Anglo Jewry. Made Aliyah at 86 and said about taking on roles in the old age home she went to, Tove Oir. And so she sounds like she was a strong personality. And um, I'm happy to say a few words about the parish in her memory. The Shamshav and Aliyah, as it goes. Um, yeah, I'm, the Radomskis are people, I have a whole bunch of friends I'm happy to say that I've met online you know, by email as a result of the podcast. I otherwise, I would never get to know, uh, which is the normal way of things. And I always have in mind, especially the ones in Luminary Israel, like the Radomskis, or in the Gush, you know, one day I'll go to Israel, and I'll just make it my business to meet everybody who can you know, put a name together with a face. But this dog on Corona is messing everything up. And not long ago, I, like you, thought, you know, pretty soon it'll be over. And maybe around the yunt of time, whatever, I mean, I can't go once college starts. Maybe at Thanksgiving, whenever I'd go to Israel, one of the things I would like to meet, some of the people, especially the sponsors, I encounter online. But so far, the medical profession is not cooperating. And according to the news I read, it's actually getting worse in Israel. Verves. So from afar, I'll have to say, you know, leaving Mizrach and Atemba Marav, and, or something like that. And, um, and we, uh, for the, uh, for the sponsorship. All right, let's take a look at the Parsha. I did yesterday from one angle. Now I'm going to do a different because in any Parsha, obviously, but particularly in these, like Shoftim, are so rich because they're variegated. And one of the things you have over here is not only the politics that I discussed yesterday, but the articles of war, as they say in England. The rules of war. And uh, Baltashius comes in here. And one of the interesting things that we're all familiar with is this business where they tell anybody who's a chicken can go home. If you're a coward, go home. So they're going to a battle. So they, uh, they raise an army. I don't know how you did this. The reason I say is I don't know how you did this, but um, let's put it this way. Uh, suppose I'm a general, and I'm going to have an army. 
So I'm just saying we, we draft 50,000 men. I'm just making this up in the biblical times. Okay, so I can calculate. The enemy's coming here with 25,000 and they're coming there with 25,000. So if I wish to, I could divide my army in half and meet them here with half the army, meet them there with the other half of the army. Sorry, no I can't. Once you raise the 50,000, then you have to go to this winnowing process in which the coin girl gets up and it says, Shema Yisrael Hashem, Krim Hayom Lom and so on and so forth. So the coin girl gets up, or the Meshuch Muhammad, and he bucks him up. He says, Shema Yisrael, even if you say Krishna, that makes you a good Jew, and go into battle. But then, he says, whoever just got married, whoever just built a house, whoever just started a vineyard, get out of here. And whoever is scared. Matter of fact, what they say, Yore and Rachalevo, which is just interesting, because... They're not identical. Rachalevo, Pashib Shop means you're squeamish, correct? Pashib Shop. You're squeamish. You can't stand inside of blood and so on and so forth. So if you're like that, out. Yare means you're scared. Um, are you scared of the enemy? That's a plain meaning. Chazal famously say you're scared of your Averis. That works too. So me and Isha, Yare Rachalevo, I don't want to get over particular on this, but does it have to be both? Nah, probably one. If you're a Yari or a Rachalevo. Misha Yari or Rachalevo. Because we don't want you. Well, guess what? I no longer have 50,000 men. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I might have 2,000 left. You know what I'm saying. If you get rid of all the cowards and this and that and the other, imagine in America, they drafted an army like in World War II, which they put together 11, 12 million men and women. And then there's a question of going off to fight. All right, raise your hand if you want to go to Guadalcanal. <laughs> You're left with two nuts, right? What normal person in his right mind wants to go and serve in that kind of business? You see? I mean, the ones who had to, had to, and the ones who did, did, and they were heroic. But if you ask them, no thank you. You see? I'll take a, a desk job, <laughs> right? Um, here, you're telling me you raised the army, and after you raised the army, then the 2,000 are left, or however many are left, then, you know, uh, fuck them, sorry, uh, you know, sorry, mayos, or sorry, uh, love from whatever the language over there is, right? So it's quite a story, okay? Now, second of all, first step is these three things. Um, are these examples? Did they um, say whoever just got married and whoever just had a vineyard and ever just built a house, they can leave? I mean... Only those three? What if somebody just had an operation? What if somebody just... Um, uh, I'll tell you, what if somebody just lost a, a brother, you know, in the battle? Uh, which in Israel today, they'll pull you out of the the, the the lines, you know what I mean? If, God forbid, a sibling or something like that, the army will pull you out. They don't want, like, Private Ryan, that kind of junk, you know? So, uh, uh, there are all kind of tragic situations that could arise there. What if somebody has to, all of a sudden... One of his parents died and he's got to sit shiver. You know, things like that. And psychologically, he's not going to be there. Uh, I can make a movie. If you want me to make up a movie, a guy was drafted and then his wife and family were killed in a car accident. God forbid. I'm, I'm just making it up. They're going to pull him out. You see? So, why these three? Okay? Why these three? Vidibra, I showed you. Now, the language is funny because the Cohen, he's the one who gives the rah, rah, rah speech. Don't be scared of anything. Right? 
even though you see the enemy outnumbers you, right? Uh, and when they get close to battle, I mean, they're closing battle. That's where you're giving people to leave? I, re- I repeat, you get close to the battle, and he says, don't be scared in this and that and the other, right? And then the shotrim, and they see whoever just got married and so forth leaves. How can you calculate militarily how to run a war if you go with this mahalach? Now, you could give me a firm answer. And I don't mean to be funny about it. Right? You could give me a firm answer. And you could simply say like this. Have big talking and all will be well. If you think I'm just saying that Solomon decided that is the story, as I remember it, of King David versus Joab about the census. That was a sin of King David, because he said, "I want to know how many men have in the battle." And Yo said, "Like this, whoever shows up be enough. We don't need to know." In that famous story, where Yoav was correct and David and Melch was totally wrong, and as a result, they hit with a terrible plague. I'm gave, I think, seventy thousand. If I remember correctly, we called that's a lot of people, right? That whole story, the end of Shmuel Beis, which is why we don't count people. Yo was saying like this: "I'm your general. I've been to a hundred battles. In each of these battles, we won. Well, that's not exactly true, but you know, in the end, we persevered and we won the wars. Uh, we didn't never take. It seems the way Yo is talking. I never took a role." I, I said, Mila Shem Eli, you know, something like that. Had a whole bunch of people show up. And then I worked with what I had. If I had 10,000 people, I divided them that way into b- battalions and, and, and brigades. If I had 50,000 people, I did it that way. If you know the history of King David well, which is hard to do because you have that big war in the middle against the coalition, as they call it, and the gigantic battle at Caleb. So there was a time when David mobilized a million men. I repeat, one million men. But other times not. So anyhow, a very firm answer would be whoever Hashem leaves me with, I'll lead him and we'll win that way if God wishes it. Right? Uh, it sounds like that, the way they're reading the story in Dvarim. You raise an army, and then the coin gets up and makes a speech, and then they show to him, say, you out, you out. Mi oisha yavarach <laughs> the last guy out turn off the lights. You know, the whole army can de- desert in that circumstances. Particularly when you're facing a vicious enemy. And you know, Rashi says or somebody, this enemy is merciless. Uh oh great. That's what you tell somebody for the battle? This enemy is merciless. Uh you know, all ye Rachlovavchen. So I don't know how they did it. Um there is, as I'm sure you're aware, like most of you must know this, here's the opinion in the Chazal, that this whole partial where you let people go if they're scared, applies only for Milchemes Rishos, not Milchemes Mitzvah. Okay, that kind of makes sense, I guess. You know, if it's a national defense, it's an emergency, then, you, then all leaves are canceled. <clears throat> but I got to tell you, that's one opinion, Chazal, that's not the only. And second of all, if you read the book of Maccabees, Judah Maccabee implemented this in battle. 
just before the Battle of Emos, I remember from reading the first book of Maccabees, which is in Greek now, although originally you can tell it was in Hebrew. And it said that Judah Maccabee released all those who just got married, who uh, planted a vineyard, and, and so on and so forth. You know, they built new houses, and were scared. And then he marched off to fight the Greeks. Now, that was a Muhammad's Mitzvah, if there ever was one. Now, you can tell me it can't be Medaic from the Apocrypha. I get it. But it sounds like it's true. As a matter of fact, it sounds like a very, if anything, that's kind of a legitimating passage in the Apocryphal literature where Judas Maccabeus is described as having actually put under, you know, practice, put into practice all these rules. Even though, I don't think they had a Meshul Muhammad exactly, but maybe he was. And, uh, you know, from a purely halachic point of view, like a Minichas Chinuch perspective, it may not be in the time of the Maccabean Wars that all these rules were in place, because maybe they're totally in other things, I don't know, that sits or whatever. But uh, whatever the case is, uh, you see that it was implemented in, in a real Mechemes uh, Mitzvah. Now, um, to tell you the truth, again, you could come back and argue, well, Judah Maccabee was a chassid, so he did it, even though he didn't have to. Uh, he figured he's outnumbered anyway, so what's the difference if he fights the Greeks at the odds of 9 to 1, or lets everybody go and fights them at odds of 12 to 1? Uh, either way, you're outnumbered. And this way, the ones that are left behind, you don't have to worry about They'll be scared. We'll never know. All I'm saying is, it's interesting that they bring these up, and it sounds like they did shortly before the battle, and they really leave a giant loophole for the army to disintegrate. Uh, on the other hand, if you know your Civil War history and many others, uh, a lot of times in approaching big battle, high desertion rate. Go be my in that if you're a historian, and sometimes military historians are interested in this, high desertion rate. So that's basically in the Civil War, the desertion rates on the north and the south were astronomical. People don't know this. Um, on the other hand, we don't implement a policy like this. Well, you kind of do. Nowadays, there's no draft. When I was little, there was a draft. A draft means you're taking everybody. So what do you do with the people of Yari Barachalevo? Okay. Um, that's for army psychological testing. I'm serious. Now, there are certain people, as they assign people to different places, if someone is a pachtan, mamish, uh, very very often, in a certain type of army will put you in a desk job or in the rear. But other armies don't care. They get cannon fodder anyway. What the heck? You know? So it's, it's complicated the way this works out. Now, why these three? You know, just got married, built a vineyard, and the other thing. Um, I'll tell you something that's Interesting, I'll tell you my opinion of it. If you look in the Tochacho, which is coming up in Kisov, as we all know, so it's a long series of maledictions and curses. And one of the parts there, you know, he says, God will hit you with this and God will hit you with that. And he talks about war and losing wars. Right? You go out in the battle. And you lose seven ways. Seven ways from Sunday. Uh, so it'll be a military defeat. This is the 
terrible tochacha, which is lengthy and so forth, in Kisava coming up. And then it says, and to me this is just interesting, God will strike you with Shigaon, Meshuganakness, Ivaron is Ever, blind, Vesimhon Levov. How do you translate Simhon Levov? There's no good translation for that. I know the translation, you know, like an Alchate and all that. But Simhon Levov, very interesting phrase. And it says, after it says, you'll be hit. She going for Ivaron and Tim Honlevov. It goes on, in my opinion, in my reading, to describe Sim Honlevov. For Yisa Mamashish Betzarayim, Kasher Yimasher Shoibba Felav Lo Tzatiches Derachecho. You walk around like a blind man in the middle of the day. In other words, it'll objectively be sunlight, but you won't see it. Right? Kasher Yimasher Shoibba Felav Lo Tzatiches Derachecho. Right? And you will not succeed in your way, which is an interesting phrase. And you walk around all the time, right? You won't be able to find your way, and you'll be only cheated and robbed, and there'll be no saviors. You know, as we would say today, colloquially, be totally tzabrachim. Right? Totally tzabrachim. How so? How so? Oh, the three things that the Kohen Gol talks about, of the Shotrim talk about in our parasha today, and Shoftim. You'll be defeated in battle in the Tochachot, and one guy will become engaged to the girl, and someone else will marry her. You'll build a house, you'll never get be, be in there. You'll do a Karim, vineyard and you'll never get to use it okay never redeem it <clears throat> even goes on beyond that to say <laughs> so what is it that brings on tim hon levov and i'll tell you what i think it means someone goes in the battle everybody knows you're gonna get killed that's always scary that's part of war on the other hand everybody knows if you don't have an army you don't fight it all especially in the old days country will be destroyed. So you have to buck up the courage and you have to simply say, listen, I'm taking my life in my hands to defend my family, my wife, my children, and so on and so forth. That's traditional around the world. You hope the person will have, uh, uh, what shall I say, uh, uh, courage, necessary courage. Often in war, circumstances make people courageous whether they like it or not. The State of Israel relies on this. And they'll be able to maintain the defense. But there are certain things out there, and everybody knows they could get killed or wounded. They know it. It's, you know, the price of their own business. Um, that's not considered, you know, uh, something egregious. Uh, if somebody, you know how many times in their bunch alone? Everybody goes into battle hoping that he or she will survive. Their families behind in the rear hope and pray that she will survive. They're all quite aware that not, they don't always happen. Everybody knows this. Don't always happen. If unfortunately, God forbid, somebody's hurt or killed, it's a clop. It's a terrible clop, but it's part of the world. What? That's not Tim Hon Levov. 
Chimel Vog is when you see that the reward for supreme sacrifices is screwy. If you had a situation as Israel has had, for example, modern times, in which um, the Arabs attack, and X number of guys held them back and were killed in the process, like, for example, the 73 war in the Syrian front, just off the top of my head. So, it's a terrible tragedy, but we honor their memories, right? They have these prayers and shul for those kind of things, Mogini, Eretz, and so forth. And they paid the supreme sacrifice, that is true. But they have something to show for it. So if somebody is the child of, let's say, a tanker who was killed in the Golan Heights in 73, so the father died a heroic death. It's a shame that the person lost his father. It's a shame they had to grow up as an orphan. You know? Um, but he's proud of what happened. And the father has something to show for his supreme sacrifice. As a result of his heroism and a supreme sacrifice, Israel survived, his children were safe, they're able to, uh, to, to grow up, they themselves got married, raised a family, and so on and so forth. There's something to show for it. And so the person says, listen, it's a shame that he had to perish, but some people have to perish in a war. <laughs> and the result is, we're all better for the sacrifice, and with his blood he purchased a better world. Think, for example, of the Americans, off the top of my head, from the World War II. Oh, my God, what they put up with the Germans and the Japanese, especially in those islands in the Pacific. But they won the war. And therefore, America stayed safe and free. And you and I, you know, we will grow up. So you say like this, it's a shame that they died. But there's something to show for it. Now, that I can hear. And the soldier goes into battle thinking like that. And Louis Sewer, if God forbid the worst happens, and the soldier says something happens to him, at least he will have, through his sacrifice, secured the rear, the family. As um, that famous poem, when I was in elementary school, that Horatio is at the British member, how can a man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his father and the temples of his gods? You know, the old Romans. You know, that kind of work. <clears throat> now watch this. A guy goes into battle. He gets killed. As a result, his family loses the house. Right? His wife ends up marrying the milkman next door. She takes all his money and spends it with the new husband. Notice it's a perversion of the heroism of the husband. It was a sucker. He gave his life. As a result, his children were disinherited by the mother. I'm writing a good novel here. Right? It's like a Charles Dickens or something. And the mother, whoever it is, used the money for something else. Uh, you know what it reminds me of? In, in Tatnu, when they had the first crusades, and so many people committed suicide, so the whole Jewish communities were wiped out or substantially wiped out. But there were always a few Yechidim who did not. They converted under the pressure of the Crusaders. And they became Christians. 
They, they did not take the heroic way out, but they did what they did. So instead of you heard well, you ever did you ever well, you heard. And the din is that they did the wrong thing, but they're not high misa for it. And especially in the case of the Crusades in 1096, after the violence, the mob violence was over, after the Crusaders passed through in 1096 and killed them, whatever those Jews, and then they went on their way, they weren't there anymore. So the surviving Jews, who had saved themselves by converting, came out of the closet. They got permission from the Goyim, this is a true story, from the emperor and the Catholic Church to go back to being Jewish. And so, you had a crazy situation we're in. You have, for example, in Ashkenaz of 1097, let's say it was a shul. And all the firm people in the tzaddikim committed suicide. All that's left are the 10, 20 of us that became Christians. So we're the jerks. But now we come back and take possession of the shul. We are all that's left. Okay, so I guess I'm now the president. And you're the vice president. And I get to sit at the front in the Mizrach wall. And, you know, you're a rabbi, but you took the coward's way out and converted, but now you're able to come back. So now you sit in the chair of the rope, and so on and so forth. So it was viewed by people at that time as like a perversion, an inversion of the hierarchy. You guys shouldn't sit up front and have all the kabudin. You see? Now, because of force of circumstance, you take the Torah out by Kol Nidre, this one gets the, the Mafta Yona, this one gets the Elias. Do you get what I'm saying? That's considered outrageous. That the reward of these tzaddikim who did Yehardval Yavar should be that these other weaker jerks should now literally inherit their seats, literally have their tefillin, because everybody else is dead, their talis, their stuff. That happened. It caused a lot of bad feeling. It's called Timhun Levov. God, why are you operating this way? Why are you making it that as a result, of the good guy being willing to sacrifice, and mom is sacrificing himself on behalf of the others, the schnutz, the schmoes, should come in and take over. Why should it be? A guy goes and builds a house for himself and is intended. He builds a house. And then he goes off to war, which means he was a hero. And he gets killed in battle. He's a hero. So what happens? The wife, who he was going to marry, now says like this, well, he's gone. Oh, like I say, I'll find another boyfriend, and we might as well move into the house. It's just sitting there. The heck with that. That's why this guy gave his life, so another guy should get it. That drives you crazy. It drives you crazy and blind and full of doubting of the heart. You go around, you, you can make no sense out of it. So imagine, because the dead guy's dead, imagine the family of the person who died in battle when they see the wife go and move in somebody else into that house or take over the field or whatever it was, the vineyard or whatever the thing is. They can't understand it. And they go to the rabbi, whoever it is, they said, wait a minute, 
Why did things go so bad? As a result of the fact that we had a good guy, and the other guy was a Rachalevov. So watch this. There were two guys, Reuben and Shimon. They're both in the army. Shimon said he's a Rachalevov, and so they let him go. Reuben said, I'm not a Rachalevov. Reuben gets killed, and Shimon moves in and takes over everything. That's disgusting. You see? Now I want to tell you something. When people see something that is so unjust, they challenge the whole system. That makes the whole business fall apart. Next time you have a war, nobody's going to go. What am I, a sucker? Nobody's going to go. And so what you see over here, this is my understanding, is that the Torah realizes this, and therefore the coin makes a speech and said everybody should be courageous. But the show trim run around and they say, all the chickens and everybody out. But they also exempt the newly married and the other things like that. You know, those who just build a house and make the vineyard and whatever. Because otherwise, the rest of the soldiers say like this, this is Yashar. We're going now into battle. And some of us won't make it all the way through. And the cowards and the shirkers and the deserters and the chickens, they're the ones that are going to rule the roost. So it's almost like counter-eugenic, you understand? Know it's survival not of the fittest, but of the jerkiest, right? And that will undermine the whole army. If that kind of feeling spreads throughout the country, then there's no military courage because you're all suckers, you're all friars. And the result is the whole thing comes apart. So I think, uh, especially by the fact that Torah uses these three, it is very interesting that they're combating the Timhon Levov. Uh, when you say what's the Simon Levov means there's a, the Rosham doesn't run the world with justice. That's how I understand Simon Levov. I know in the art school theaters they translate differently on it, but this is I don't think they're right. I think what I think is right. Tomain the Lev, based on the passages I just said, and it's a real problem. Uh, the Torah is acknowledging it. And therefore, not like the Rajbam where he says all together, you know, the three people are the ones who have the Tim and Lebo. These are three categories. And I think, I wasn't there, of course, that these are representative categories. Anything that will cause people to say, I'm a sucker for going into battle instead of being a hero, um, you better, in your... Um, What's the right word? Your system, your political system, your national system, you better have some uh, protection against the heroes becoming suckers. Because then nobody's going to be a hero. Okay? Uh, the Hitler very cleverly used this Goebbels in the propaganda in 1940 against the French army, which folded like a house of cards in the Blitz. Everybody knows this. In World War One, the French fought very hard. World War II, they collapsed. They collapsed because Hitler put in the propaganda in the French army where they say, you sucker, you're going to get killed and the Englishman's going to run off with your girlfriend with your wife, take over your country. And it, and it worked. It got to their psych psyche. So, you see, war and, and military, very psychologically uh, fragile. right? Very psychologically fragile. Now, that's already long. Maybe I'll pursue this next week in some kind. This is very much for the month of El also, because um, uh, 
Well, let me give some thought of that. Maybe I'll rephrase this in a different podcast. Once again, um, uh, we have... By the way, in, in my show, it's just, just interesting. In my show, we have a mezuzah in one of the doors that I picked up once in Israel when I was on a trip with her at Marbuk there. It's, a, it's not a fancy mezuzah cover, but it was made in one of these... Um, it's not an orphanage exactly, but something like that. Uh, in the Shtachin, it's the son of the, of the. It was made in in one of these shop, you know, school shop programs. Um, by the son of the guy, I forget his name, who jumped on the grenade to save the others, in the in the Lebanon War, was that two thousand six? Uh, the guy did it because he wanted to save the country. He didn't want to save his friends. Uh, at least the way they treat his family, you see, they, they they're very careful. You know, the guy shouldn't look like a sucker, which he wasn't. He was a hero. Uh, this is always a fine line. I think it's fascinating the way the Torah sets it up. Uh, anyway, without any further ado, by the way, I just want to say uh, I have a great niece in Israel who, uh, 10 months old, is having medical problems. I hope this will be as a chuzma foolish name for her also. That's Bachev uh, Esther Bas Tamar. I'm sure Radomsky's will join me and pranks a little baby having a trouble. And uh, we shall all hear good news from everybody and pay tribute to the memory of uh, the Nefteris uh, today. With that, I w- bid everybody a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.